We're going to be in Genesis chapter 29. I'm also going to read the first two verses of Matthew chapter 1. So we're starting a new sermon series for Advent. I mean, Advent is the time where we, as we just heard, uh, is a time of longing. It's a time where we look forward and try and step into the longing that the people had before Jesus came. Uh, and the way we're going to do that this year is just by looking at Jesus' family tree. So I'm calling this series Jesus' Dysfunctional Family. Because if you read Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 3, the, the whole list of names, you're going to find names like Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Tamar, Rahab, David, Bathsheba, which could be synonymous with liars, uh, scandal, murder, uh, deceit. I mean, it sounds like an advertisement for a good, good TV show, right? It's all kinds of ungodliness. And yet these are the people that God chose to, to bring his plan of redemption into this world. People like us. And so, you know, the t holidays are a time where we get together as families and we're reminded both of the goodness and, and ugliness of families. And I, I pray this would be encouraging for you as we see God's... Well, Christmas is a true story of how God sent His Son to build a multi-ethnic family uh, where everybody is a trophy of His grace. And so, we're starting in Genesis because this is where the Christmas story begins. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, and then I'll go back to Genesis 29. It says, This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then Genesis 29, I'm going to start in verse 15. This is where Jacob has just arrived at his uncle's place. says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? And now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her into Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant, servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so <coughs> and completed her week. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. And when the Lord saw that the Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, this Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. And therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us the wonders of your grace this morning and show us that you are not ashamed to be associated with people like us um, with shady pasts, that you are the God of Jacob who dwells with sinners. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you would come to open our eyes uh, to see, see the things that cause our dysfunction and our disappointment, that we might trust you and, and, and be comforted by your presence today. So help us to see the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, Christmas is a time of families, and I don't know what emotions family bring to you. I guess it depends on what's going on in your household at the moment. You know, Christmas stories at this time of year, especially movies, they make a ton of money highlighting family dysfunction. <laughs> the Home Alone series, they forgot a kid. Or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Remember that one, right? Clark Griswold, a very type A personality. I got to have everything just right. And he's putting all his time and energy into having a beautiful Christmas, an overdone house covered in beautiful Christmas lights. And all of a sudden, uninvited comes crazy cousin Eddie with his disorganized, unclean, unkept family. Um, Not type A. And so the whole movie is a comedy about how they, as a family, try and live life together and they don't get along. They don't get along very well at all. And there's this great line where Clark comes up to Eddie and says, Hey, Eddie, can I, can I refill your eggnog? Can I get you something to eat? Can I drive you into the middle of nowhere and leave you to die? <laughs> and it's funny, kind of, because he's somewhat serious. But as you come into Jacob's story, that this is Jacob's story. And family dysfunction is funny from afar, but not funny when you're in the midst of it. For, for Jacob, it's too real. As he arrives here at his uncle's house, he, uh, he was running for his life. His brother wanted to kill him because he lied and cheated. He lied to his father and deceived his brother out of the blessing of the, being the firstborn. And Jacob had to flee through the desert completely alone, never to see his mom. And, well, he would see his dad again, but he would never see his mother again. And he was a mama's boy, so this is a big deal. And so family for Jacob, like us, is a source of both uh, joy and comfort and, and hope, but a lot of hurt. And it's hurt that he carries with him his whole life, and it, it's affecting his marriage. And we're going to talk about how 
how family, how God uses Jacob to teach him about his grace. That God uses broken families, he uses family dysfunction uh, to to bring about his redemption, his, his glory, to show his power, even through people like us. So how does he do that? How does he use family, how does God use family dysfunction to bring people into his family? And to do that, we're going to look at Jacob's uh, problem, uh, at the very root of who he is, what he's been wrestling with, what he's been pursuing his whole life, is the trauma of being an overlooked child. His whole life, he's never measured up. And so let's the hard part of doing a sermon like this is Jacob is from the middle of Genesis to the end of the book, including all of his family. So I'm going to try and summarize a lot of the story, but to understand why Jacob would work 14 years for this one woman, you have to know where he comes from. And where he comes from is a place of being the forgotten child. All right, so let's go back to Genesis 25. Remember, Jacob and Esau are, are twins born to Isaac. And God told Isaac and Rebekah that when Jacob and Esau were born, it would not be the normal custom where the the younger child serves the older. It was going to be the opposite. The older child is going to serve the younger. Because it was the custom in that day. If you were the firstborn, you were right there next to your dad. You had the place of privilege. And God says, I'm going to work with Jacob, not Esau. And that's what happened. As Esau was born, he came first. Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heels, a a picture of how their lives were going to go as Jacob was trying to keep up and to be like his brother um, through through cheating, through deceiving. And I know to us it doesn't seem like a big deal because our family structures are not set up to where we give everything to the firstborn, where they get more. But that's how they did it in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if you were the oldest, you were expected to carry on the family name. The father would give you twice the inheritance of everyone else. You would learn responsibility. And just by virtue of being born first as a son, you got all your dad's attention. And so if you were a daughter or any other son, you were second best because of the way they did it. All the other kids... Had they were important, but they were would have been treated like they were not as important as the firstborn, and that's exactly what happens with Jacob and Esau. Jacob was second. Isaac was told that Jacob was going to be blessed and that he should treat their son treat them accordingly. But Isaac loved Esau, so you figure you got the, the sibling rivalry where Jacob and Esau, and Esau is loved by his dad. And Jacob is not. Esau, he was the man's man. He was, he's the guy who would go out hunting. He, he cooked good food. He could grill. And his dad loved his cooking. You know, he was hairy. He was manly. He probably wore flannel. <laughs> and and it's, it makes a point to say Jacob was not like that. He hung out in his mom's tent. He was hairless. It's just saying he, he wasn't that kind of guy. And his dad overlooked him because of it. He stayed in the kitchen. And so you, you think about this, what happens in a family when all, one child gets all the good gifts, when one child is spoiled more than the others? All kinds of dysfunction. Jealousy, 
uh, competition. You got one kid who's spoiled and you can't get along with them. You got the other ones who are trying really, really hard to, to impress mom and dad. And if that doesn't work, then they try really, really hard to make mom and dad mad to get them to pay attention. I mean, this is Jacob and Esau. <coughs> and so I, I, I've experienced some of this in my family. I was the older child who did, did the right thing because I was too scared to do the wrong thing. And my sister got in more trouble. And so I was the goody two-shoes, you know, your mom and dad's favorite. And me and my humility would say, well, you know, stop getting in trouble and you won't have that problem. <laughs> you know, that's, that's family. Jacob spent his whole childhood trying to get the attention of his dad, trying to get the blessing of being the firstborn, trying to get the love and affection of his father. He wanted everything that Esau had. He wanted to be Esau, essentially. And so what happens is Rebekah, the mother, hatches this plan at the end of Isaac's life. He's, Isaac is about to give the formal blessing to his sons to pass on uh, to do to pass on a verbal blessing to do what he thinks God is going to do. And so he's saying, "Oh, you see this? Isaac is going against what God told him to do. He wants to bless Esau." And so Rebecca says, "All right, Jacob, I'm going to dress you up like your brother, and we're going to fool your father so that you get the blessing. And so you're going to steal it." And so this is what they do, because Isaac is old and blind. He's on his deathbed. He sends Esau out hunting to have a good meal so they can eat together before giving this formal blessing. Rebecca has Jacob cover himself in hair and a goat so he feels like his brother. He has Jacob wear Esau's clothes so he smells like Esau. Rebecca cooks a good meal so he cooks like Esau. I mean, the whole idea is that Jacob is putting on clothes, putting on a whole life to get the love he could never get on his own. He's, and Jacob, that's what happens. He hides behind Esau's life, and his dad blesses him. And this is what Isaac says. He says, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And this is what Isaac says to Jacob. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of earth and plenty of grain and wine. May you be wealthy and successful. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And Esau comes back bitterly, bitterly disappointed and angry and eventually just plots to kill his brother. Now, there's a lot there, but you get this big idea. Jacob is completely molded and shaped by this desire to be the firstborn child, to get the love he could never get on his own, to the point of acting, to trying to be somebody he's not, to be accepted. Does that sound familiar? And so when he gets to his uncle's place here in chapter 29, Jacob's brought himself with him. Right? You bring you wherever you go, so does Jacob. He's Still, even though he got the blessing, it didn't, he didn't really get the blessing. Esau still did. He, he got it through deceit, and it didn't fill the hole in his heart, so to speak. He didn't, it didn't fill that desire to be loved and accepted. 
Right? And so the irony is he pretended to be Esau in order to get love, in order to not be alone, and it backfired. And he ended it up completely alone. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, what's the big deal? We don't, we don't use these words, blessing and firstborn. What's the big deal about being the, uh, being the firstborn? And you've got to step back for a moment in Genesis. And Genesis is the story of two dysfunctional families, uh, God's family and Satan's family. Right? Those who believe and those who do not. That's how Genesis starts. It's the story of Eve's offspring and the serpent's offspring. That's from Genesis chapter 3. And when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, he says, I am going to put, use your family, Abraham, to bring about the Messiah, the one who's going to fix everything that is wrong with this world, the one who's going to deal with sin and death. And so that means in every generation, there's going to be one child, one son, who's going to carry on the family line, who's going to bring about, uh, be a part of the messianic family, so to speak. It's a great honor. God's going to use one couple to bring Jesus into the world. All right, and, and so when you come to Jacob, Jacob is the one that God determined was going to be in the Messianic line, not Esau. All right. And so that's part of the blessing of the firstborn. And then the other part, we all know. When somebody comes to you and says, you are great, I, I love you, what you've been doing is great, God's going to do great things to you, you've been doing, you know, just, just uh, somebody saying, good job, that's powerful. And the more intimate the relationship, the more powerful that blessing is, right? If it comes from just a complete stranger who says, you know, I appreciate your work ethic in the, in the workplace, that feels good. When it comes from your, your spouse, that feels even better. When it comes from your parents, right? that's, that's life-shaping. When, when your parents say, you're doing good, I'm proud of you, I mean, you, this is what people live for. We're... There are probably people here who are wishing my parents said something like that, that I love you and I'm proud of you. See, blessing, living for the blessing of the firstborn is what you are living for, whether you realize it or not, that I want somebody to tell me I'm doing well. And even more so you know, in relationship with God, that God would come to you and say, good job. I'm proud of you. I love you. You are my only child, my well-beloved, the one in whom I'm well-pleased. That's the blessing of the firstborn. Right. I mean, maybe we all crave this. Maybe you're here and you don't like the way you look. It's been a, it's been a bane of your whole existence, like Leah. Or maybe oh, we, we have this. Deep down, we all believe if we were different, then we could get that blessing. Or maybe it's the other side. Maybe you've gotten that blessing and people have been telling you you're, you've been great your whole life and you end up like Esau, <laughs> a little more arrogant, harder to get along with. This is the point. The, the, the blessing of the firstborn is something that Jacob, that we crave, that we live for, that somebody would treat us like we are the most important part of their lives and we live our lives looking for it. And when somebody doesn't get to us, it causes all kinds of dysfunction in our family in our relationships, in the church, outside of the church, in the workplace. 
And so God says, I want you to see Jacob, to see the kind of guy I like to bless. The liar, the deceiver, the overlooked one. That's what I love about Jacob. And I hope you do too. Because he's so relatable. This is so modern. Jacob has gotten to this point. He's about to create more of a mess as he gets married. But he's gotten to this point living for the, the acceptance of others. Does it sound familiar? You go into, I, mean, I vividly remember this in high school of where I started a new school and I wanted to fit in. And so I started using uh, what I considered as a pastor's kid, non-Christian words. They had four letters because I wanted to fit in. I tried to put on the clothes of my friends so I would get blessed and say, you're cool, I like you. And I vividly remember one, one of my peers turning to me and saying, aren't you a pastor's kid? Are you allowed to talk like that? And I can still remember the embarrassment. Right? So Jacob is wrestling with trying to be accepted, trying to be loved, trying to get the blessing of the firstborn and he's running through the desert, and God comes to him in Genesis 28 and says, I've chosen you, trust me. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to bless you. And then you get here to our chapter, <laughs> where you get to see how, how this longing to be loved creates an even bigger mess. Where really, it's going to lead to all kinds of disappointment. That if you try and get the blessing of the firstborn you know, to, to be to have a permanent love or to have somebody to, to bless you. Try and get it from anything in this world, you'll end up with disappointment. And this is the second point. This is what Jacob teaches us. Because right, he's got, he's the overlooked child who's going to end up with disappointment. What does a person do who's never gotten the love of the parents that they've craved? Right, you, you go looking for a spouse. Somebody who will He'll make a big deal out of you. Because he was just told by God in Genesis 28, I'm, God is going to use me to make a family. Well, I'm single, so I need a woman. Right? He's, he's, going to find a, he's going to find a wife. And when he gets to his uncle's place, he meets at the well. They didn't have e-harmony. The well is where you met people. <laughs> and he met Rachel, and she's beautiful. Drop-dead gorgeous. And he rearranges his whole life just because she's attractive. And you can see it, how smitten he is. I mean, you figure he's really low, nobody likes him, and he sees this beautiful woman and says, she's going to save me. And you can see it when he, he offers the bride price. He is a terrible at bargaining because he says, I'm going to work seven years for her to be my wife. <laughs> and I know we don't do that here, but the, the whole, he, he offers twice the average bride price. All right, so the normal, normal would have been about three and a half years for the equivalent of money. And so, you know, you figure you're you go into a place, you want to bargain, and you set your price and say, I want to spend, you know, 50 bucks. And so you hope to go back and forth. You, you know, you, you start low, right? You don't start high. <laughs> he starts way up here, and so Laban knows he's completely smitten. I can do whatever I want with him. He's on the hook. And he does. He says, sure, that'll work. And you notice he never says Rachel's name. And so Jacob, the one who's longing to be loved, gets duped by his uncle. And the day finally arrives, seven years later. I mean, you, you hear it. You hear the love, and you hear the obsession. 
that for seven years Jacob has been working in the field picturing how perfect his life is about to be. It was, it was like a few days working. And it's, it's a good romantic line. And so the, the, the wedding comes, there's a feast, there's a celebration, right? This, this should sound very familiar. It's in the dark, right? There's a feast, there's about to be deception. This is exactly what Jacob did to his father. And in the evening, when the honeymoon came, Leah was sent in, all veiled. And this, this is feasible. They didn't have electricity. It was dark. They had no idea. And in the morning, when the sun rose, surprise, honeymoon over. <laughs> it was Leah, not Rachel. You can imagine how that felt like, the, the disappointment the yelling, the screaming, the, the shock. All we know about Leah is that she is less attractive than her sister. I mean, it says weak eyes. All we know is there's something about her eyes where she doesn't look right. Some people have called her lazy-eyed Leah. Um, we don't really know. We just know in comparison to her sister, there's something about her face that doesn't make her a, mer- a desirable spouse to the point where her dad says, I want to cover up her face to get her married. And you think about that, how crushing that would be. She, too, is not getting the affection that, that her heart craves. So what do you get from this mess? And this is a mess. It's every single one of us is born into a dysfunctional family. <laughs> born into a world where we crave blessing and attention and affection we're want, we want somebody, we want the affection that lasts. And the theological term for it is total depravity, that everybody is born a sinner by, by nature and choice. It's not that we are sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. And then when we're born into this world, we're born with this gaping, this deep craving to be blessed, to have the blessing of the firstborn, to have our parents say, you are good. But even that doesn't become enough. I mean, you start to read about this family and you read through the Bible, you realize, and just in your own experience, it doesn't matter how many times you tell your kids, they are great, they are amazing, you are doing a good job. That is a wonderful picture you just drew. Every day they come back and say, tell me I'm doing a good job, Daddy. Tell me you love me. And we don't grow out of it, we just hide it. And so what Genesis is doing is not telling us that we're born into dysfunction, it's showing us. This is what sin has done. And out of a desire to be loved, to be accepted, we deceive, uh, we, we hide in the dark, we pretend to be people we're not, we chase after that special somebody that maybe they will make our lives worth living, um, We put together a perfect resume. We try and sell ourselves. And of course, the problem with all of that is that when it comes down to it, whatever we think we're going to get blessing from, it's going to start out looking like Rachel, but in the morning it'll always look like Leah. We're going to end in disappointment because the blessing doesn't last. Now, poor Leah, we're picking on her. Just, Just let that sink in. Our kids, if you're trying to be something you're not, we call it dating. (laughs) 
And if you look at a man or a woman like they will save you, like Jacob looks at Rachel, when you get into relationship with that person, you're going to find that they have been putting out a pretty good act for a long time, and that when you get in close, you're going to see that they're sinners just like you. You're going to see flaws. They're going to see your flaws. You're going to be disappointed. You know, you think you could apply this to your job. You know, my job is miserable. I need to get that job. It's going to turn into Leah eventually. We think the grass is always greener on the other side, but one of the things Jacob teaches us is that we take ourselves wherever we go, and we take our craving to be to have the blessing of the firstborn wherever we go. Therefore, we're all, our dysfunction means we're always going to end up disappointed. And we, it'll be great for a while, but even the best gifts, even the best holidays, right? you picture, we just got done with Thanksgiving, a full meal, you had a great time laughing, telling stories, enjoying one another. It's just a dim hint of what's to come. It can't last. So this is what I want you to see. This is how God works. This is how God teaches us about his grace. He, he says, I know you need the blessing of the firstborn, and so I'm going to lead you into places of disappointment so that you start looking for the blessing from a place that lasts. And that's what he's doing with Jacob. He's saying, I'm going to bless you with my grace. And I'm going to do that through the mess. As you realize, you cannot get the affection your heart craves from your dad, from your mom, or your wives. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so the question is, what are you looking for for blessing? Where are you trying to get somebody to say, you are awesome. You, you make a lot. I can't live without you. From your career, from somebody, your family. Because one of the things that happens is you take yourself wherever you go and you end in disappointment and then you got to try and make sense of the drama that you live in. And that's what Genesis 29 is about, is you get the fallout of Jacob's lack of blessing. All right? Because you have this weird thing. Why in the world would Jacob agree to work seven more years? And I mean, one, he's obsessed. But two, why would he not just rise up and punch his uncle in the face? <laughs> You know, do something unholy. Because what does Laban say after? He says, Jacob says, why did you deceive me? And Laban turns around and says, well, in our part of the world, it's not the custom for the younger to go ahead of the older. And Jacob knew he was caught. He said, I just got had. He did to me what I did to my dad. And so now he's stuck living with two lives, all because he wanted to be liked, to be loved. And, and you think about it, of all the people that should understand the damage that favoritism causes, it should be Jacob. And yet you see him just imitating and repeating what... It says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That's going to be an awkward household. Now, if you're wondering, you've got to say this on as a side note, if you're wondering why the Bible can talk about polygamy, 
alongside the clear commands to that marriage is only between one man and one woman. I mean, just read this account and try and tell me that polygamy is a good thing. <laughs> try and use the, the mess to argue that, that it's okay to have more than one wife. I mean, Genesis is using story to say, this doesn't work out well. Why would you ever want to go through this? Right? Jacob's family is a mess because everybody wants the blessing of the firstborn. And you get into the, the, the marriage, that's what verses 31 through 35 are all about. You got Leah saying, I just want my husband to love me. And Rachel, she's not even secure in it. I mean, she's got the obsession of her husband who worked 14 years to have her. 14 years, and yet she's still competing with Leah. You read verse, chapters 30, they're, they're passing Jacob off. They're doing backroom deals just to get him for the night to see who's going to get pregnant next to see you can have the most sons, to be the best, so that, so that then Jacob will love them. I mean, look at Leah. You get all these names. She, she gives birth to Reuben. She's, and Reuben basically means, look, I have a son. So she names him, looking at her husband, saying, look at me, love me. Then you got Simeon. The Lord has heard my cry. He's blessed me. And you, see, you see who's at the center of gravity here. <laughs> You can tell she's wrestling, right? She's trying to figure out, he, my husband doesn't love me, so maybe God will. And then you come to Levi, which sounds like the word attached, and she says, maybe now my husband will be attached to me. And you can hear the, the cry of her heart. When she gets to Judah, the fourth son, you can tell she's made a breakthrough. She says, this time I'm just going to praise the Lord. And she called him Judah, which sounds like praise. And so here's, here's what you see. You've got all these people. I mean, this is a big overview. You've got all these people just destroying themselves, beating themselves up. Uh, clawing and craving for attention, all because they want to be treated like they're the most important person in the, in, the, in the cosmos. The blessing of the firstborn. And what's fascinating is, as you look, this is how we're going to end here, is look at who God uses to bring his son, Jesus, into the world, who God use, determines to bless. You got the two children who are, who are overlooked, Jacob and Leah. Because Judah, the son who was born, turns out to be the line of the Messiah, the one from whom kings will be born, the one whom Jesus will come from. That God, in his grace, this is how God works, he looks down at the people nobody wants and says, I'm going to set my love and affection on you. This is the blessing your heart has been craving for all of eternity. I want to treat you like you are my firstborn. Right. And this really is the gospel, that a son is born to give them hope, to give them a blessing. You know that's what Jesus came to do? That he came to so that you and I, who have caused all kinds of, through our dysfunction, all kinds of a mess, We've broken God's world. We've hurt our families. 
It's called sin. And God sent Jesus so that we might have the blessing of the firstborn. That's what Jesus is called. He is the firstborn of all creation. And what, what that means is, this is what Hebrews 12 calls the church. We are the f- family of God, the assembly of the firstborn, the place where everybody here who is a Christian is God's favorite child. And if, if you have more than one kid, you know how hard that is. <laughs> That's what Jesus came to do. He lived the perfect life. He is the beloved son so that we might be loved even as he is loved. Do you hear it? That's John 17. The blessing of the firstborn where God says, I look at you despite your dysfunction. and Say, I love you more than any other in the entire universe in Christ. And nothing can take that away. And that's going to be the only thing that heals our dysfunction. It's the only thing that's going to help us deal with disappointment. It's going to be the only thing that's going to empower us to deal with the drama of our families. To walk in, to live our lives knowing that the only eyes that matter are my Father's and Heaven's. And He is thrilled with me because I am His child. And He sends you His Spirit to remind you. That Romans chapter 8, His Spirit testifies with our spirit that you are the children of God, the heirs, the ones to whom God has given everything in Christ. The new ha- everything. Everything that Jesus has now belongs to you, or you are the favorite child. So why would you argue over who gets the better present? <laughs> this is grace. This is the world of the gospel where God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish things to shame the wise, all that he might make a multi-ethnic family, people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations, to be trophies of his grace, to be his children. <laughs> yeah. You are a trophy of God's grace if you put your faith in Jesus. And he doesn't care what your family background is. There is no basket of deplorables, so to speak. That's that's the stone that God uses to make a Michelangelo. So what do you do with all this? Now we're going to end. When you get to see the family, family is a gift from God. Children are born into a mess and we're called to praise the Lord. But if if you live... For the acceptance of your family, it's going to cause all kinds of damage in your life. Because if you put God-like hopes on them, you're going to end up disappointed. And Jacob helps us see that, that families can't be everything. And in the church, we need to, to, to hear that because I remember in counseling class hearing stories about uh, parents of teenage children who would have, their kids would get uh, get pregnant outside of marriage, and there'd be so much shame that they would, the, the parents, even elders in the church, people who were supposed to be the leaders, they'd be so ashamed that they would drive their children across state lines to have an abortion and never speak of it again. I mean, one of the things Jacob really does help us with is say, we're going to have all kinds of crazy stories in the church, people starting... You know, from ground zero and people who look really, who look like they have it all together. But they're all God's favorite child in Christ.
And so that means we can enter into any messed up family situation and live out the gospel. And so families are a good thing, but they can't be a God thing. And, and the last, the most amazing thing you see here, the blessing cannot be earned, it has to be given. Because right. you, you got to be wondering, what, the point, what is the point of all this stuff? What, what moral the story is there? That's not what Genesis is here for. It's here to show you that God is putting together a dysfunctional family to, to, to celebrate His grace. And that through His kindness and His presence, He uses a lifetime to mold us into the people He's already called us to be. <coughs> Excuse me. I left my notes here. So you know what this is going to leave you with? You're going to have a weird relationship with your family as a Christian. I mean, Jesus said some bizarre things about family. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your family by comparison. Your family is going to be a good thing, but your allegiance to Jesus is going to be higher. And this is what, exactly what happened to Jesus. He says, I care only about what my Father in heaven thinks. And his family, at one point, Matthew 12 comes and says, Jesus, you're nuts. You're crazy. Come home. Stop saying things like you're the only way, the truth, and the life. We, we, we grew up with you. You're human. And Jesus says, my family are all those who do God's will. He's saying that, that God will draw a line between, he's making two families, his family who are his by grace and, and everyone else who doesn't believe. And sometimes it's going to be hard because that line's going to drive right down the middle of your family. And unless you know, unless you've had this experience of grace where you hear God saying to you, and I'm talking to me here that, as well, that you are my beloved son in Christ, unless you have that motivating you, family's going to tear you apart. And the last thing this is going to do, it's going to leave you with a deep longing. <laughs> because as you see how great family can be, and you come into the church and you hear how great God's family will be, you're going to have a longing that the best times you have this holiday season are just a dim hint of the great feast that we have to come, where there's not going to be a deception in the dark. There's not going to be any competition. There's not going to be any jealousy. That when we eat, this is what we're going to see next week at the table, as you eat and drink that cup, you get to hear God say, you are my beloved child. You are the one whom I have set my affection on. Now go and live with that blessing. No one can take that from you. And then you'll say, like Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of the steadfast, the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown me. You'll be a Christian, a trophy of his grace. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for Jacob, who is a, a man who's flawed that you worked in decades to show him the, the the truth and the reality of the things we just talked about. And so I pray today that we would be comforted by your grace and that we would long for a blessing that lasts and that we would experience it in, in the gospel. If there are those here who, who do not yet know you, I pray they would hear you uh, come alongside and say, you are my beloved child through faith in Christ. Bring them to life.
And for those of us who know this blessing, help us to trust you and, and to hear your voice as we go out into the workplace and into our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>